I warned Kevin ahead of time, I'm going to start this podcast by shining my boy up here. So, Kevin, if your face gets any redder than it already is, normally with your fair complexion, and then in the summer being outside doing summer activities, prepare yourself to be a little bit more red. So, we came up with a concept. We're we're gonna we're gonna reveal what's behind the curtain with the podcast. Monday's usually an off day with us. Um, maybe sometimes Monday night we start coming up with a concept, but Tuesday we usually have a show meeting with our staff. Come up with a concept, start uh, pinning down some research, and then Wednesday and Thursday, and sometimes if we scramble Friday. Uh, get some of our research done, come through with our topics, have something to talk about to fill 60 minutes approximately on Spotify broadcasters. So I have a family tradition on one side of my family. It was started by my mother's mother, and it is a Christmas in July tradition. So if you're wondering what that is, Probably sounds exactly like you would expect. The halfway point for Christmas is in July. And when I was a little guy, along with my sisters and my cousins, every July, we would get an envelope in the mail with a legit Christmas card and a small token to appreciate Grandma Pat for. She would always say something as memorable as, Honey, you're halfway there. Santa's almost here. Merry Christmas in July. I'm sure you've seen this all over the place. People run carpet stores, run Christmas in July sales. Car dealers run Christmas in July sales. Well, Grandma Pat always gave us a gift, a Christmas gift in July. And when I was a young lad, for a huge portion of those years, what I got in the mail was some Jeffrey money. Some Toys R Us, Jeffrey money. Oh, yeah. Now, I came up with a concept early on in the programming protocol meeting for this week's episode. And this is where I'm going to shine BK up. So sometimes I have ideas or ideas, depending on how you pronounce it from where you're from. And they're okay But Kevin gets out his painter's brush and details them. (laughs) Smooths them out, if you will, and makes them a much better concept. For those who don't know, BK, many skills, many positive attributes, a ton of cool stuff goes into the makeup of this man. One, beautiful body. (laughs) Two, NSCA certification, undocumented, of bodybuilding and weightlifting knowledge. Did, didn't need a classroom, okay, folks? Didn't need a classroom. Does not to teach you how to, how to bodybuild. But As the, the example of what not to do. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. So the coolest part, in my opinion, about Kevin, and we're going to be serious here for a second coolest part about Kevin is super creative, like super, super creative. One of the most creative people I've ever met in my life, you know, uh, can sing 
can play multiple instruments, uh, writes music, writes poetry, um, has, you know, written blogs. He can teach things. He, uh, from a concept standpoint, has a really good way of kind of taking large issues or very complex things and breaking them down to someone who has a small brain like I do. Uh, very historical <laughs> significance in my life for doing that with a lot of stuff. Uh, oh, stop. Especially around parenting, fatherhood, all that, marriage, all that stuff, religion. The man's great. He can make videos. He was making videos back in the day where you needed more than a phone to make a video. And <laughs> at a future point in the podcast, we may break down one of his more infamous or famous, depending on how he wants to describe it, videos of an actual interpretation of Predator that he did in his teenage years with his friends. Uh, commando, but yes, that, that may need to happen. It's, it's Commando. Okay, it's Commando. So, so I say all this because Kevin took the topic that I very lazily threw out earlier on in the week and really redesigned it and, and buffed out the rough edges on it. So all of that being said... I want to give Kevin, I'm going to hand it over to him, give him the next couple of minutes to describe the concept of what we're going to talk about today, and honestly, just to kind of give him a chance to, uh, you know, enjoy the fruits of his labor, because if, if my show topic was the original one, it would not be nearly as cool as the one that Kevin finally, finally detailed. Kev, go. Well, thank you, OC, for that uh, introduction, and... I did turn a deeper shade of red and that's saying something because I started off sitting in the sun with it shining through my windshield, scalding my face, even before you started lathering me up with compliments. So, um, you know, that, that means a lot. So your idea was a good one. Your idea initially was let's talk about some of the movies that, uh, people sort of loosely associate with being Christmas movies. And I thought, well, let's think about, you know, what those movies are, and what time periods they are. And then you said, well, I started thinking about it because of your Christmas in July tradition. I said, that's perfect. Getting the Jeffrey bucks from Toys R Us links us from a movie and a year of a movie to a year of a toy at Toys R Us. So we can, you know, thread those things together and, uh, and here we are. So it really, you were the Genesis, my friend. I was just, uh, you know, I was just punching up and, uh, chiseling off here and there. I sprayed the primer on the canvas. You painted the picture, Kevin. Let's be real honest. All right. Well, you still worked the deltoids. I just slapped some clay on them. It's like it's like a sculptor with clay, except you're doing it with the human body. So the caveat to all this was, to my chagrin, since I'm the old guy here, we had to start at a year in which OC was actually alive on this planet and possibly conscious of toys at all, mm -hmm. which eliminated multiple years that uh, could have given rise to discussion of movies such as Gremlins or Rocky Four, which I would argue has a Christmas element to it. Um, but nevertheless, we settled on five specific points in time. 1986, 1987, 1988, 1990, 
1992. And before we begin, lest anyone be confused, we are not saying these movies are Christmas movies. No. We are not. We are not having that debate. We are not here to make the stretched argument that you know, Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Basically, we we went into it with, look, it's pretty simple. If a movie isn't celebrating Jesus' birthday in some way, shape, or form, or it's not related to Chris Kringle's aerial altruism, then it's not a Christmas movie. Yeah, if, if it doesn't leave you feeling nostalgic and childhood wonderment, then I'm sorry, it's not a Christmas movie. So not a to, Christmas. to Kevin's point, you know, Rocky Four. I mean, top ten in terms of '80s action movies because Christmas is in the time period of the script. Rocky Four is not a Christmas movie. No. And you might say that the fact that Rocky specifically agreed to do the fight on Christmas Day in Russia because, quote, that's what I was told, that's not very Christmas spirited. No, I digress. And if we if we want to tie it back to our our dads, that's not a very good dad move. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) But at least he did say Merry Christmas, kid. Anyway, so. Speaking of Sylvester Stallone, our first year on the list was 1986 OC, uh, which you selected as the first eligible year. And in that year, we do have a very loosely Christmas-affiliated film by the name of Cobra, one of the action greats of all time. Excellent film. Currently streaming on HBO Max, if you haven't ever watched it. It it must be watched. It must be watched immediately. I may watch it as soon as I hang up. It's uh, so after good. I go to work, I mean. It's so good. So, do, oh, see, I can give a quick little just synopsis of, like, how this is in any way, shape, or form tied into Christmas. Yeah, I mean, um, go right ahead. I think that's what we'll do with all of these, just just so that we, we dial you into the fact that, you know, for whatever reason. I, it, side note. I'm going to segue here into something else. When I was doing the research for this, I was like, did any of these movies need Christmas? Ah. That's pretty debatable. You know what I mean? Like, did they significantly impact the story? Yeah, I mean, it could have been, like, you know, Halloween. Halloween. Ramadan or whatever. With Cobra. With Cobra, Kevin. Because of the sheer violence. I was like, why was this not taking place during, like, October. Yeah, yeah. Well, because it was an 80s film, this was actually the second R-rated film that I saw in the theaters as a very young child. Although this was the first one I saw in the theaters rated R that did not star Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder. (laughs) So, gives you a little insight into my upbringing. I hear you. Now, I will say... I wore a match in my mouth for like three summers after seeing this movie. And I've not eaten a single slice of pizza without using scissors since 1986. By the way, how long was that pizza 
left over. Yeah, he kind of just finds it sitting there. Yeah, um, so gross. Yeah, who knows? But he's tough. He's Marion Cobretti. you got to be tough to have first name of Marion. So this is like this quintessential 80s action cop movie, right? Like he's got humor. Um, I now tear wife beaters off of wannabe gangsters for kicks. He's got a super terrible bad guy with an amazing knife. He's so scary. Uh, horrifying. And the knife is scarier than he is, which is saying something. Uh, the good guy delivers like the nigh unbelievable justice by way of insane violence with Sly literally taking out like a battalion of motorcycle gang members with a single clip from his automatic weapon. What is the body uh, count in that last scene where he's in the back of that, <laughs> that truck? Like, I don't know. What I is the body like, count? I think it's like eight minutes of just bang, 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 bang like gunfire. Never misses. Hits nothing oh. but bodies. Yep. Let's not forget the uh, amazing music, though. Shout out to Robert Tepper of Rocky Four fame for his Angel of the City track. Yeah. But the Christmas connection is it's vaguely in the background of certain parts, like in the beginning, but. In the grocery store. Yeah, in the grocery store, yep. who I was convinced was Danny Trejo was that bad guy, but it, it wasn't. Um, <laughs> but it did feature the OG Toys R Us Christmas commercial playing on the. So you were saying, Kevin, before technology took us out of that introduction. <laughs> technology, which did not exist in 1986, all for the better, thank God. So we see that we see the Toys R Us commercial in the movie, and I think. When we were talking about it in our in our scrum meeting, that actually triggered your, I guess, initial push into tying in the Jeffrey money and all that stuff was like, right. there's it's a legit the- Toys R Us commercial in the beginning of that film. Yeah, yeah. It's the Toys R Us time of year. Yeah, it's Jeffrey great, man. It's so good. Snow. Yeah, and like, I don't know why Marion Cobretti was cleaning his gun with... Uh, equipment he kept in an egg carton and stored in the fridge. I guess that's what burglars try to find. I, I don't know. But anyway, the, the Toys R Us commercial was on point, and it leads us into our discussion of using our Jeffrey Bucks for toys in 1986. What do you say, OC? What's your toy that you wanted in 86? So I got to give a shout-out, a thick and juicy triple C shout-out to my Uncle Mike and my Aunt Marcia, who one year in my 20s, they actually repurchased this gift for me so I could recover what was once assumed lost. 1986, American Greetings, a very small toy line, toy company, puts out a My Pet Monster. <laughs> Do you remember My Pet Monster? My sister had a My Pet Monster. Such an amazing stuffy, like the total quintessential boy stuffy. So something you could sleep with at night that didn't make you feel like you were a wimp. It's like, no, I'm not scared of the dark or the boogeyman. I'm just sleeping with my pet monster. This thing's awesome. <laughs> so like I, I had a My Pet Monster. Um, I was obsessed with it. I remember being obsessed with it. And my my Aunt Marcia and Uncle Mike remember me being obsessed with it so much that... Uh, they bought me one. One year for my birthday, I got a My Pet Monster. I'm in my 20s at this point. And they just randomly, they're like, we found one. And we remember how much you loved yours. So we bought you one. And it came equipped. It had the cuffs, the orange handcuffs. 
Um, yep. It had everything. You could, and You could break them, right? You could break the yep, chains. Yep, right in the middle of the chain. The cuffs were Velcro, so you never worried about getting stuck on you. Um, but in an odd twist of fate, they end up buying me this, this My Pet Monster Kev. And right about the time I got married, my mom's going through some stuff because I, I, I took a black contractor's trash bag to our marital home and left literally everything else behind at my mom and dad's house. And my mom and dad were like, don't you want any of this stuff? I'm like, no, I'm moving on. So you can keep everything. I look like a bag of clothes and a TV. Okay. <laughs> my mom's going through stuff. She finds my pet monster like up in the attic. So apparently, my original My Pet Monster, and this thing's destroyed. I mean, like, if you've never seen a My Pet Monster, it has this really cool silver metallic paint on the hands and feet and, like, green fingernails. All the paint is rubbed off these things, okay? It stinks from being up in the O'Callaghan attic uh, <laughs> with, like, zero ventilation since I think we moved to the house in, like, 88. Um, but they find me my old... My pet monster. So as a as an adult with three children of his own, um, I actually own two my pet monsters to this day. Uh, I remember the first time I went to your house. Your well, not new anymore, but new then house, and you had both of them. Yeah, <laughs> proudly displayed. I might add. Yeah, right on top of the china cabinet. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So we've got two yeah. of them, but that that would have been my. In 86, oh my gosh, man, I'm buying a My Pet Monster all day. So in 86, uh, my top things would have been G.I. Joe, G.I. Joe, G.I. Joe. Okay. And then I would have to have tried to get my claws on some of the Dinobots and Constructicons Transformers. Okay. So those were like huge deals and gi joe was like a running thing for multiple years um i was always trying to get more vehicles more guys and i was super into transformers but the constructicons were the first ones you had to buy i think six of them and then you could actually put them together to make a bigger one so then i spent like you know months trying to get all these things the early precursor to uh um marvel and all, the Marvel Ultimates making you buy like nine figures so you can put together a, a a Thanos or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a stroke of marketing genius or evil genius, depending how you look at it. Right. Um, looking back on it, though, I have to say I missed out on some things. If I had to go back and do it all over again, I would certainly want my Joes. I'd certainly want my Transformers. But, dude, did you know there were Chuck Norris action figures? Yes. Yes, I did. And I'll tell you why. Recently, shout out to Time Blaster Toys. Uh, Time Blaster Toys did a Chuck Norris like uh, homage or homage to in one of their earlier podcasts. And then, oddly enough, a couple weekends ago, I know I sent you the video to this on YouTube on the Time Blaster Toys YouTube page. My cousin-in-law Mark and I went over to Time Blaster because Mark wanted to uh, cash out some old He-Man figures. Yeah. And lo and behold, in a small bag at the bottom of one of these Motu bins, he's got two Chuck Norris figures. Dude, they're pretty awesome, yeah. so I missed that. But, but I did find one. If you look it up, you'll find it right away. Somebody made a custom Chuck Norris figure 
as a G.I. Joe figure. No, I don't. In the packaging. Don't do that to Unreal. me. Unreal. Yeah, don't do that to Unreal. me. Unreal. <laughs> don't do that right now. How's the mustache look on that thing? Oh, man. I mean, it's it's just on point. Yeah. They just nailed it. And then the back's got all the different other guys you could collect theoretically and the additions to that list are just phenomenal. Yeah, I won't spoil it. You got to check it out. No, it's it's so. an it's an unheralded toy line from a cartoon that was canceled way too early and uh I I've seen a couple in person and they are they are absolutely awesome figs. Got to happen. Keep your eye out. So, yeah, I, a lot of other ones from 86, but we got to move on to 87, I think. So, 87, um, I think we we picked what lethal weapon. Yeah. Which, yeah, I mean, absolutely. it's like Lethal Weapon and, like, if you Google, listen, our our, our, um, our research team is not super sophisticated. We don't pay them much. All you got to do is type in the internet, like, uh, unconventional Christmas movies. And the Lethal yeah. Weapon is on every single list. It's one of those ones, Kevin, to your earlier uh, statements, like what I did there without using it. Um oh, yeah. Everybody always talks about, ooh, it's a Christmas movie. Mm, no. No, well. Lethal I Weapon's mean, not a Christmas movie. But let's let's be honest, OC. I mean, nothing really says Yuletide spirit like Gary Busey breaking and entering into Danny Glover's Murtaugh household with intent to commit a heinous felony therein whilst swearing at Ebenezer Scrooge on the television. Set. No kidding, Kevin. It's not a <laughs> folks. And you're going to, there's a common theme with these, uh, non Christmas Christmas movies. These are not Christmas movies. Although more upsetting than that OC is the fact that on the television set was the version of the Christmas Carol movie that did not include George C. Scott. It was not the legit one. It deserves to be sworn sworn at as far as I'm concerned. Yes. And and you and I, we bond in so many ways, but the Scott Christmas Carol it was a it was a made for TV movie at the time, correct? Yeah, we, we we're gonna have to do an actual Christmas movie pod at some point. Yeah, that movie is if if you've not seen Actors acting? That is a movie of actors acting. Like, legit, big old time, English acting at its finest, teaching you the lessons you need to know about Christmas, not the Lethal Weapon version of Christmas. <laughs> not the version when Martin Riggs blasts Anthony Kiedis's father, actually. Wow. Through, through an evergreen in a Christmas tree lot. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> Uh, yes. So, so, so 87, um, if you've not seen any of these movies, I mean, highly recommend Lethal Weapon for the non-Christmas experience, but just for the fact that it is absolutely an awesome movie. Um, in 87, Kevin, this took, this took less than four seconds for me. I'm buying, <laughs> I'm buying Scareglow. So Scareglow from Wave 6 of the Masters of the Universe toy line. Um, I mean, around that time, and if you've ever wondered about the prices of toys, uh, Kevin and I have become very, very, very experienced in seeking out and searching the actual prices of things because a lot of people 
make it a hobby or habit to PDF Sears catalogs and JCPenney catalogs and Toys R Us catalogs from the 80s and 90s. So I was able to actually locate the original prices of all of my toys. So Scareglow, back in 87, sells for $5.97. Do you know what a packaged Scareglow goes for in 2023? Uh, I'm guessing $150. $4,955. So a... a, a, for those of you who are, who are not aware of uh, comic and toy and just overall like vintage grading, when you buy an old school comic book or a toy, you can have someone grade the toy for you basically to um, assign a value to it. And there are all types of things that go into it's It's really nuanced with going into assessing the price of something. So an 80 graded, so a very high graded, packaged scare glow kevin almost five thousand dollars yeah but you know what like if the uh you know two-year-old you or however old you were then were confronted with hey you can take this out of the package and play with it right now or you cannot do that and in 35 years open it up and you'll have a lot of money you'd have been like yeah i'm playing with it Rock and roll. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I often, you know how you have your predator nightmares? Yeah, I just had one, by the way. I have nightmares of all of the toys I did have and me now going back to little me and just saying, leave it in the package. Because <laughs> I've spent the bulk of my adult life trying to find packaged on card back uh, original figs that I just absolutely slaughtered in the yard over on American Outer Drive. So for me, I'm buying Scareglow all the way in 1987. This this uh, fig, just a beautiful fig. I'm ahead of its time. Uh, it it glowed in the dark. I believe I'm yeah, using that scar- correctly. Scarily, as it were. Uh, that that nice cool like uh, what is it like every 80s toy that glowed in the dark had that weird like yellow greenish glow that neon oh, yeah. glow. So it scare glows all the way in that weird yellow greenish color, uh, a purple cape and like a, a you know like a uh, he almost looks like the Phantom of, of the Opera with a high necked guy, purple cape, and then he has this like sword axe type thing, just a sweet looking fig, um, eighty seven. That's that's putting in the I'm putting that bad boy in the uh, Toys R Us in Toys R Us grocery cart, and we're walking out of there with uh, maybe a few less shekels than I walked in there with. Yeah, I would say, although not too many in in '87. No, five so five bucks. It, in in those days, I was still very much into the GI Joe scene, and I was still playing with them. I wasn't, you know, blowing them up in the Dearborn High parking lot. But um, by then, I really wanted a video game system, and for some reason, I had my heart set on the Atari, not twenty six hundred, but 5200 oh wow which was <laughs> which was the very ill-fated bomb of a successor to the original atari council so in 87 that's what i was pining for and that's what i got now atari um, it's still did the did the updated deluxe version in 87 still have the single joystick 
So that was probably what sold me on it. It, it, I don't even think the graphics were appreciable. Well, they were probably a little bit better, but not really. (laughs) But the joystick was this awesome, like quasi Zach Morris looking early cell phone thing. It had like a, yeah, it had like a keypad on it and all these buttons and then a joystick. It was pretty complex, but uh, yeah, as far as the gaming itself, it was nothing to write home about. Something I'm always so, interested in hearing because you lived through certain things I didn't was the commercials. How were the commercials? You know, it's funny because the commercial is what made me get it. It's funny you bring that up. I was just thinking about the commercial. It was a wrap. Of, it was a wrapped commercial. Oh, well, if something's and, wrapped in a commercial. You're getting it. Yeah, but it was like they were actually... I'm pretty sure they were rapping about the 2600. So if I would have paid closer attention, I would have gotten the original one. But that's all right. You know, I didn't have a gaming system before that. Like, literally, my parents had Pong, like, down in the living room. Okay. And so, you know, I, I, I'll take what I can get. Now, looking back on it, have you ever heard, first of all, they had Karate Kid action figures? Are you serious? Like, dude, Daniel, Mr. Miyagi, they had... Chosen, they had Sato, Johnny, and Kreese. How did I not get those guys to battle with Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow and Quick Kick? Like, I, I missed the boat on that big time. Yeah. It, big time. Every time we do one of these, though, Kevin, there is a bit of, uh, there, there's a chunk of flesh these podcasts take out of us, knowing yeah. certain things through research that we didn't either remember uh, or recollect properly or just weren't aware of. Uh, oddly enough, in perusing the PDF from JCPenney that I found to look through my toy selection for this year, I saw those Karate Kid figures, and I was ah. completely unaware that there was a Karate Kid fig line. So did you see the ones? Because I looked through a similar list, and I also came across something called the Brave Star. Yeah, I'm figures. familiar with Brave Star. Dude. Yeah, cool what? action figure line. I would have rejected them out of hand because nothing was ever going to compete with G.I. Joe's. I mean, Transformers were fine. He-Man was really pushing it for me. But, like, any anything close to approximating the size and, like, the purpose of the Joe's, like, that was not going to happen. However, now I look at it as this crazy, like, space cowboy versus, like, skeleton alien thing if, if you ever west like it's so west world like crazy i love it if you ever want to go down a deep deep rabbit hole there i think it's i believe it's toy whiz uh there's a youtube channel and this guy like weekly he just talks about uh forgotten toy lines and animated series from like the 80s and 90s when i watched that one on them i was like what did i miss like how did this yeah. how did this slip underneath my line of sight when it came to it has everything a little boy could could want in a cartoon and action figure space cowboys yeah. indians guns lasers aircraft Dude, like it's sweet i think i think it's our parents fault i mean we were paying too close attention to gi joe and transformers they weren't paying attention to that stuff where where were their uh where were their priorities? Not They're everyone has been scanning, scanning the horizon. Not know? everyone has dads like you and I are. We're like, <laughs> you're actually disappointed when your kids don't pick up on the cool thing you saw at Target. Like, I can't tell you many times I've walked through, I've walked through a toy store with the boys and little Kira Ah Ah, and I'm like, 
Whoa, that's a pretty cool toy line. Do you got you, you're not interested? Dad wants a couple. Yeah, I know that all too well, my friend. Yeah, so, um good good use of the year 87. Yeah, 88 uh 88 gets gets interesting. Is this another one where like Kevin this came up on literally every single list that I found that was the, you know, uh, non-conventional Christmas or untraditional Christmas movies. 88, go ahead. It, it's it's the movie that started this whole stupid debate in the first place. It's Die Hard, which is a great movie. Awesome but movie. It's not a it's not a Christmas movie. It, like why do we even have We're not. We're not having that discussion. Funny movie, great special effects for the time. Um in fact, groundbreaking special effects at the time, especially the um the scenes with with the buildings and everything like that, but um, not not a, not a not a Christmas movie. No. no. However, however, mocking and taunting terrorists with Santa themed slogans and headwear on Christmas Eve is kind of awesome. Yeah, right? I mean, everyone has seen the iconic image of a Brusarides with his Santa cap on, uh, climbing through air conditioning ducts and heat ducts. In a building that has been taken hostage by terrorists slash bad guys. Yeah, we do salute John McClane for his efforts to save Christmas for the people of Nakatomi Plaza. At least, you know, most of them. Right. Um, but the toys of 88 OC, uh, what do you got? Because to me, this is getting into a transitional period for me. Oh, I tell you what. I got a toy from 88. This is one that I never owned. I've seen one in person. It was it was priced so far out of what I was willing to pay for it that I literally scoffed at the person selling it. And my wife had to console me in the car ride home as I almost broke into tears. <laughs> I've seen I've seen a really good one boxed. Um, the box was a little smashed up, but were you a Pee Wee Herman fan? Oh, you're not going there, are you? The 17-inch Pee Wee Herman talking doll. Dude. Dude. Wow. I'm looking at my notes. Is it on your yeah, notes? it's on there. Yeah, <laughs> dude, that toy was so... The commercials, Kevin. The Pee Wee 17-inch talking doll commercials. Hilarious. If you... I don't want to spend a ton of time... Uh, get out your list. You know how we always just... Uh, we make a, a tangential list of uh, podcast topics that come out of podcasts that we actually do. Yeah. We're going to have to do a Pee Wee Herman episode at some point. That could happen. That uh, could happen. Full disclosure, no human being has ever laughed harder at Pee Wee Herman than The Great American. It's wow. It's one of his favorite shows ever. Um, I can recall... You're talking... You're talking Pee-wee's Playhouse, not Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Yep, Pee-wee's Playhouse and Pee-wee's Big Adventure. That movie. Okay. Um, so I have to tell this story. Have to tell this story. Some time ago, talking maybe a year ago or something, I'm listening to a, an MMA podcast, and the host is roughly our age, Kev. Yeah. He's got a fighter on there who's talking about um, he he trains and lives near the Alamo. <laughs> And the the podcast host made a reference to, well, if you ever lose your bike, maybe it's at the Alamo. 
<laughs> and it went like 60,000 feet over the head of the young man who was being interviewed. So I, I go, what a great, like, what a comedic reference, like a very niche reference. I call my dad. Hey, dad. What's up, Junior? What are you doing? I'm on the job. Uh, keep it quick. I go, hey, dad, if I ever lost my bike, where's the first place you would look for it? He goes, probably the Alamo. Is that all you got? <laughs> I go, yeah, dad, I'll talk to you later. My dad nails it. Like, right, no context, no anything. Just to show you how much my dad loved uh, Pee Wee Herman, the character, the show, the movie. He still quotes, um, he still quotes Missy Vaughn all the time. Uh, if you've, it blows my mind that Phil Hartman was on the show. It further yeah. blows my mind that Lawrence Fishburne was on the show. Yep, sure Cowboy was. Curtis, he but was a cowboy. the 17 inch Pee Wee Herman, it, it came with six classic Pee Wee lines. <laughs> I'm Pee Wee Herman. Hello, major look. Ha ha. I know you are, but what am I? I know you are, but what am I? The the classic, Arr! and then the ones that I did, I was like, why didn't they have? I don't make monkeys, I just train them. Oh yeah, you know, and they, he didn't have. That's my name. Don't wear it out. There were so many. I have to imagine the the people who designed this toy. They had limitations on what could actually be recorded, but the six phrases that came out of Pee Wee Herman's seventeen inch talking doll. In 88, Kevin, with some Jeffrey money, this thing was 28 bucks. Dude, that's a total steal. 28 bucks. All right, so here's, here's what blows my mind about that one. And, and by the way, that's another one that somehow went over my head at the time. But I, I found it when I was trying to, like, you know, research other things that were out there. Um, <laughs> what does it say about the number of just weird and creepy animatronic and talking like bears and beasts and babies and all the other weird stuff that like mid to late 80s toy makers were obsessed we with. had what teddy what ruxpin and uh you know yeah, my like buddy and me my buddy was really creepy yeah it's like the elf had one like there were all kinds of them and there were a bunch of dolls like i i, I don't even i can't even count them all but what does it say about how weird and creepy those are that, like, the same cool one is <laughs> talking Pee-wee Herman? Yeah, it is kind of insane that, like, the most <laughs> the most tepid of the bunch is this Pee-wee Herman 17-inch doll. Yeah, it's nuts. Yeah, I will so give you that point. In, in, in retrospect, like, I totally, totally should have gotten that. Um, my list at the time uh, was very much Nintendo. I had pretty quickly realized that having an Atari 5200 was like having a beta instead of a VHS VCR right. or like having GoBots instead of Transformers. Like <laughs> it just was not, was not the thing. Wasn't working um, for you. No. And I think we should do a separate pod on like video games of the era. So I won't go into all the ones I got, but I do want to mention one other thing I found from 88 that I somehow missed. Absolutely unreal. Do you remember, or did you happen to see the thing called body wrap? No. It was a wearable system that included, like, a chest plate and a belt and, like, a head thing that was supposed to help you become a master rapper. Oh, come on. 
really? <laughs> Dude, unbelievable. Like, the, even the kid in the advertisement has this look of, like, putting on a brave face. Like, seriously, Mom? Like, that's all you and Uncle Marty could get me for a modeling gig is this? Like, I'm going to be at school the next day. <laughs> Kevin, I, I'm going to make a very, very, and I'm double quoting in the air for folks who can't see me. I'm going to make a real presumption here that the kid in the commercial is Caucasian. It's so funny you should mention that because my takeaway from all this was like, I could have been a child model. It, if, if all you needed to hawk toys to the suburban masses in the 80s was to have like a skinny, pale, white kid making a weird face like that could easily have been me like, i mean all day long so this is <laughs> this is 88 we're talking about nothing represents the rap scene more than a skinny pale white kid who's capable of modeling toys yeah certainly not you know run dmc or public enemy or you know anybody else who was nwa was coming on the scene like nobody like that it's this dude who clearly didn't even know what kind of gig he was getting he just showed up one day and they you know, stuffed all these ridiculous plastic things on them. They're like, you're a master rapper now. Unreal. But I, I have, I I have to look this up now. I have to look this up. Um, so awesome. 90, 1990. Can I, or may I? Sister Geraldine? Um, yes. May I just mention the movie that we're going to use as our anchor point in 1990? Because it had a tremendous impact on me. Still does to this day. Uh, it influenced my opinion on a recent very open and uh, non-private lawsuit that was going on uh, that was the darling of my wife for about three months where she would just dial into what was going on in this trial forever forever skewed my view on pre-Pirates of the Caribbean Pre being sued by an ex for doing some horrible things, pre alcoholic, pre bankruptcy, Johnny Depp in a nineteen ninety Tim Burton classic, Edward Scissorhands. Yeah, I wanted Die Hard too, but you wanted Eddie Scissors. Well, we already used Die Hard one, so Edward Scissorhands, man, you got to go with Edward <laughs> Scissorhands. And the the I don't know what. Uh, I'd love to talk to, if, if any of our audience, uh, if you are a child psychologist, um, I'd love to know why I was so obsessed with the way Tim Burton shot films. Uh, the Batmans, Edward Scissorhands, uh, to name a few. But I loved the look of those movies. I loved the feel of those movies. And Edward Scissorhands, just a really dark concept, but so well spun in terms of its... Um, of its presentation, right? Yeah. I mean, I need to revisit it. I have seen it. I've seen it a couple of times, but it's been a long time. I also love Tim Burton and I think Johnny Depp, whatever his personal issues may be, he is an absolute genius of an actor. Yeah. Um, and my, my, my main recollection of Edward Scissorhands was having this like vague sense of dread that his cousin Freddy Krueger would appear somewhere. So just pop out of pop out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, fortunately that did not happen. Edward Scissorhands um, did so. to me what a lot of Tim Burton's movies did back then, which was like it made you laugh. It was 
a cool concept. It made you think you were watching something that maybe you shouldn't watch. It scared you, but you really loved it and you couldn't get enough. I would watch the Edward Scissorhands VHS um, that we pirated off of HBO for a while there, probably once every few weeks. Just love nice. the movie. And it has a tie into Christmas, but we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about on a, all of the five toys I'm picking, this is the one toy that I had, I still do have it. Well, I have the corpse of it at my mom and dad's house. In 1990, for a rather steep price point of 50 bucks, you could purchase the Technodrome, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Technodrome. Wow. Okay, so okay. this thing was so awesome. It had this like Lord of the Rings eye, this Sauron eye on the top of it. It opened up into two different compartments and on the inside, I mean, the 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 detail of the stickers that you put inside the Technodrome. I mean, I, I remember meticulously sitting in my living room as a small child when I got this thing for Christmas and yeah. spending what felt like six to eight weeks putting the stickers on the Technodrome, <laughs> which after I ran it through the, you know, the wet grass and mud in my backyard in the spring every single sticker came off. But this thing was like the toy of toys in 1990. If you were a little boy and you had even the slightest interest in TMNT, you had to have the Technodrome. 50 bucks back then. Uh, another shout out to Time Blaster Toys. They did, they did a podcast and they did a show actually on YouTube about someone coming into the shop, Keith's shop in Westland. And basically purchasing an inbox technodrome. Oh wow. Um the price of a box technodrome, you're talking a thousand bucks now. Like a, a solid one that's unopened and um that's my that's my my toy in nineteen ninety. I have to man, if I could go back to nineteen ninety and just tell my stupid immature self to keep that thing in the box. That's a Disney uh, vacation nowadays. Yeah, but you had fun. I did. So back then in 1990, like I was, I was all about hoops, basketball cards. Like I bought those all the time. I think I have like at least one, maybe two complete sets of them. Just buying them at, at any opportunity I had. Um, <laughs> but the sort of like ended up being clunker gift that that i did get in 1990 at christmas and i know it's gonna sound weird to some it will sound blasphemous i got a game boy that i really wanted okay i think i played super mario like three times and tetris for like two months and i never picked it up again wow what made you so disinterested in it i think it was just i realized that i had a better system on a bigger screen that I could use the vast majority of the time. So in 1990, so, are you are you playing Super Nintendo at that point? I did not get it until the following year. I think it was Christmas of 91 when okay. I got Super Nintendo. But you're playing Nintendo. Oh, yeah. Oh, and, yeah. and you're hammering down on Blades of Steel and Contra and Mario 1 and 2 at that point, right? No doubt about okay, it. Okay, cool. Well, I kind of absolve you of my disgust that I feel for you 
actually being gifted a Game Boy and not playing with it a lot because I always wanted one. My parents said no. Well, I'm sorry. If I still had it, I'd give it to you, maybe. My sister Katie has one, so you know, whatever. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not hurt about it or anything, Kev. Well, I'll make up for it quickly with this one, and I don't remember if I actually asked for this or if somebody just bought it for me because I was, you know, like almost or barely a teenager by this point. Okay. Um, I got this Nerf cannon. It was like this, you know, you put like a Nerf ball in it and then you just, you know, it was like a pop gun. You pull the thing back and it had this long barrel and, you know, you pop out a thing. It sounds silly, but I remember getting it and my cousin, who was even older than I was, like my cousin Jeff's two years older. <laughs> we just took turns getting blasted in the back with it as we ran away saying, for God's sakes, don't shoot me. A la <laughs> the bad guy from Raw Deal. <laughs> we like throw ourselves into the couch getting popped with this thing. So that was like a huge surprise hit from, from that era. Side note, Nerf is never a bad choice, right? No, I don't think so. No, it's, I mean, if you bought me a Nerf gun now for my birthday, I'm good. Yeah, no doubt. 92, we go to Batman Returns. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna wax poetically on Batman Returns. I'm going to come. I'm going to command and demand the faithful to go back and listen to our "Who's Your Batman" episode. But Indeed. Batman Returns, the backdrop of that movie happens to be Gotham during Christmas. If you need further details, you may cite the exceptional podcast we did a few podcasts ago about where we picked our favorite Batman. Keaton's my Batman. But in 92, Kevin, I am obsessed with the Kenner Batman toys. Oh, okay. Yeah. Obsessed. Obsessed. And if you can look behind me here, Kevin, in the uh, in the man oh. shelf. Oh, yes. There are... That's a fine, uh, that's a fine Count Chocula back there, by the oh, way. Oh, yeah. I wonder who got me that. <laughs> Sweetie. My sweetheart. BK. <laughs> um... There are four Batman Returns Kenners in that in that nerd case back there, uh, awesome. with with awesome. a couple of them have weapons, a couple of them have uh, capes, and it's a hodgepodge of a hot mess back there. But the one I want so badly that my cousin Neil had and I didn't have, and I would play with it all the time when I went over there was they made an Arctic Batman. From that Kenner oh. toy line. Dude, it has this, like, white... Imagine uh, football chest pads. But with a... Like, a glass hood over them. Almost like Mr. Freeze. That was the top part of the toy on top of Arctic Batman. And then it came with this awesome toy, dude. And I played with this thing nonstop. Neil, if you have it, man, please... I'll buy it from you. Um, but it had this little squishy, like, pistol thing, and you could suck water up in it and put it on your Batman toy, line them up, squeeze the back of it, and it would shoot water out of it. Wow. That's pretty elaborate. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, uh, I'm sure that no sibling ever got blasted with that. No. Five bucks back then, by the way. 92. All the Kenner Batman figures were about five bucks. KB Toys, Toys R Us, um, JCPenney, all that. And, uh... Shockingly, you know, I really should get off my wallet here. I found some really good ones that are still on card back for like 30 bucks on eBay. Yeah, you should get off your wallet, dude. 
yeah, that, but that's $30 that I could, uh, you know, keep in a tin can underneath my ground in the backyard. So, yeah, I mean, the worms are, uh, admiring the view. I believe you said last podcast and I wore this, uh, for the rest of the weekend, I believe you called me a tightwad. No, 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 no. You called yourself a tightwad. I called you a cheapskate. Okay. Well, either way, it's true though. So I, I don't, <laughs> I, I couldn't care less. <laughs> yes, I can rub the, uh, I can rub the metal finish off of a couple pennies. I've been accused. Yeah, yeah. Well, unfortunately, by 1992, my official days of playing with toys were uh, on hiatus um, until, you know, about 2008. But uh, I was knee-deep in the video games by then, and... I had my uh, Super Nintendo, so you can only imagine that my Jeffrey Bucks were going to buy the latest Madden, which I'm pretty certain um, was the first one I had was Madden 92. Okay. And that started like a lifelong, well, until I got uh, into the real world, it started uh, a long-term love affair with, with the Madden franchise. I had every version of madden through like 2003 or something like that um i loved that game and then uh street fighter 2 yes which was uh, it was before mortal Kombat, and in some ways i think still better than mortal Kombat. oh wow hot it take was just, dude hot it take was just, it was a great game and it was one of those like other than madden that was probably the first game I can remember playing against my friends that would cause somebody to just like get up in a fit of fury and leave the house, like not speak to you for days because you beat them in that game. So you such a heated, heated thing. You've touched upon something that again, the brain connectivity between us at times is alarming. (laughs) I was just about to say, so many of my fellow nerds, they scoff at me when I say that Super NES was my favorite gaming console of all time. I think it still holds up today uh, in terms of graphics and just playability. I won't go too far into detail of why I love Super Nintendo so much, but exactly what you just said is why it's part of why that system was so kick butt was you could get four dudes huddled together on Super Nintendo playing Turtles in Time or playing Sunset Riders or playing NHL 93 or something and just absolutely go ham on each other. So I love your pick. Absolutely agree with you. Kevin, I need a shower, man. This was was a hard podcast to get through, but um, (laughs) let's cap it at this. So... Shout out to Grandma Pat for starting an excellent tradition with her grandchildren. Amen. The envelopes have ceased to come to me. In... Hold on, hold on, hold on. Before you call them envelopes, now they're envelopes, you can't call them both, dude. You gotta pick one. Well, depending on which side of my brain is working, I either go British or American accent. <laughs> Grandma Pat has continued the tradition, however. She always sends my kids stuff. So even in her elder years... Uh, she sends a Christmas card to my kids and all the other great-grandchildren at this point to recognize that you're halfway there, kids. B, 
big kids and little kids alike. We're halfway there, Kevin. Merry Christmas to you in July, my friend. It's been another excellent podcast. Follow us on Spotify. Follow us on Apple Podcasts. And if you don't think that Die Hard is a Christmas movie, then we can rock with you. If you do, you need to go back to church. Yes, sir. Love you, man. Talk to you later. Bye. Peace, brother.